2020 was a tumultuous year. The question we must all ask going forward is simple. What values, ethics, and behaviors from the old world are we going to preserve? And what new perspectives are we going to embrace as we build our future civilizations? This is the New World Podcast with Ariz Kaki and Akio Samji. Welcome back to the New World Podcast. I'm your host, Aris. And I'm your host, Akio. And uh, today we're trying a new format. We're sitting across from each other instead. We're trying to be a bit more comfortable and kind of laid back with the podcast. We've kind of been getting back a lot. We've been kind of analyzing a lot of your feedback. And some of you guys have been saying that maybe uh, to keep it a bit more relatable to Gen Z, we can discuss some of these complex topics, but in a more relaxed kind of way, because no one's in a rush. <laughs> so uh, with that, uh, Kio, how have you been? I've been pretty good. I've been stressing with assignments, but uh, right. probably caught up on. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think we're just we're just kind of adjusting to like everything else with regards to exams because mm-hmm. for university students, at least here in Canada, we start around April time our finals. Yeah, like all of our assignments and stuff are sort of culminating at this point. But uh, yes, yeah, so, sorry for the to the audience and to everyone else. We have to start off with that because we've kind of been slacking with regards to that area. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we haven't been posting either. Right. While, yeah. yeah. I think I think that last episode that you guys saw with Melissa was mm-hmm. more of something that we sort of filmed in backlog, and we just wanted to release it because it was something really interesting that we thought that people would benefit from. I think it'd be something really interesting for people to like look at from a different perspective. Something like biosurgery and three D printing as well. Be something pretty cool to analyze. But yeah, so today we're trying a new format, sort of. Um, audience being like a third person kind of looking in and see what they think about the conversation but today as you probably saw from the title of the video we're most probably going to be focusing on uh the media particularly the mainstream media and this is going to be a series of episodes uh possibly this one and the next one that we come up with uh, which is just the two of us which we're kind of sort of be analyzing the world of media and we're going to be touching upon a lot of topics that people have sort of asked us to touch upon we've actually had a bunch of our viewers which we appreciate by the way for people who are interactive yeah i think we appreciate more i think we would actually want more interaction from the audience like if you guys were to let us know like what you guys think of the podcast and yeah any sort of topics you want us to cover yeah. and there's no such thing as like taboo in our in our sense because exactly. really nothing taboo for us so we are willing to cover anything you want mm-hmm. Um, there's no like limit to how much or what we can cover. So we want your feedback as always appreciated in general, like administrative wise, but at the same time, topic suggestions, dialogues, commenting on posts, whatever the case may be. And we haven't been that interactive, but like I said, we're going to try to be as more interactive as possible. For sure. And so today we're just going to talk mainly about the media, the mainstream media. Uh, and we're going to move on to sort of the next episode as being a sort of continuation of that. We're going to leave you guys off with today about social media. We're going to talk about some of the origins of social media, uh, some of the things that we sort of seen as timelines, particularly things that are affecting young people and Gen Z overall when it comes to the world of social media. And I know that many of us and many of you guys listening can already understand how much of a big colossal issue social media in and of itself is, which is why we initially were thinking of combining it to this episode, but we weren't going to because we realized that it's so much information and material that it doesn't make sense to put into one episode. It makes sense to actually have it as its own animal. All right, so we'll just get started. And uh, when, like I said, when, when researching for this episode, we sort of looked at stats. We looked at a lot of math. We also looked at, um, we compared various different types of numbers that will tell us objectively what's going on in terms of the actual market trends. I think we've discussed this prior to the first episode. Yeah. Part of the reason we started this podcast is we had the motivation to say, you know what, I think more and more people will appreciate two Gen Z individuals who it's really rare to see that such young people on podcasts, or at least with their own, not as guests, to kind of talk about some of these issues. And I think ever since the first episode, we've grown, we've done a lot of things as well, and we've seen our viewership rise. And it's super appreciative of all of you guys who've been supporting us this whole time. 
And I think if people just continue listening, even their feedback, we're going to keep on making the show better. We're going to try to feature more guests. I go for our guests for you guys that cover a variety of episodes, uh, a variety of topics as well. Uh, speaking of which, we can move on into some things with regards to the truth. So what is the truth? Well, um, when we wanted to start off with this episode, we want to kind of give you an overarching story, man. We don't want to really talk about um, just the media right away. We want to sort of talk about truth and how people define truth or what we define truth as mm-hmm. and what we see wrong with the world today. So, okay, do you want to talk about, uh, you want to introduce the idea of objectivity and subjectivity? Because for those of you that, haven't, that are listening, many of you guys have probably heard of the, have heard of the term subjective or being, I'm being subjective or being objective. Yeah. But a lot of people haven't really heard the application of what the definition of these terms are going to mean. So do you want to kind of like go into depth about that and talk about that? Yeah, for sure. So I guess we start with the definition of objectivity versus subjectivity. So to put it straightforward and simple, objectivity is looking at facts and subjectivity is more so an opinion. So with objectivity, you're looking more at the numbers, the graphs, and looking what's actually there when you relay your information versus subjectivity is using more emotion, which kind of factors in and not so much facts. Which is why sometimes subjectivity is not looked at in like such a great way. Or at least like not like a, a sense of evidence. It's yeah. Like like people know that generally people when making an argument have these both like logic, like the logos, yeah. the ethos, and then there's sort of the anecdote. Which which has been which is sort of like been a natural occurring thing in, in human society. We've always used anecdotes in storytelling from a, from a subjective sense to tell a bigger message. For sure. But um, yeah, I think I think that definitely hits home. This idea of of truth and what we find truth to be. It's more like it's less of a philosophical question and more something that we should just consider, which is um, how do we define truth and what is true and how, how do we go about when when we're, when we're looking at the world today and everyone knows that we're talking about the context of media, but there seems to be this idea or these trend lines that like it's hard for people to tell the truth nowadays or people just don't know it used to be that it was hard for people to tell the truth i think now it's more like no one really knows what the truth is and then some people are now redefining what it means to be the, the truth in sense now it's becoming what my truth is versus your what your truth is yeah. and there's no such commonality that we hold anymore i think the problem that we're seeing with uh just the truth in general and, and people's interactions is that uh subjectivity for the longest time, objectivity and subjectivity had sort of been like rivaled at each other. Mm-hmm. There's always been in conflict because because objectivity generally takes in pure reason and logic, right? Mm-hmm. To, to assume something is true. And subjectivity is this idea of like, okay, I'm making an argument, I'm making a claim, but I know because I had a bad experience. So. And like, it's from my subjective experience. So like if me and you were having an argument and you make a claim, but I'm going to make a claim saying that I know B is true. You might say A is true, B is false. I say, you know, B is true because example like i lived through that and yeah. so because it's subjective to you you can count that as like evidence i mean evidence in court is obviously the eyewitnesses and stuff as circumstantial evidence that could be taken into consideration it's just that i think for the longest time there's been a conflict because if it's purely subjective and subjectivity is then that's exactly what it is to you right yeah. and if we're going to talk about subjects that are relevant to all of us there has to be some sense of something agree upon. And generally, it's always been objective truth, which is like just basic facts about certain things. This is not a complicated topic, even though it sounds like a complicated word. Yeah. It's more like just facts and logic behind certain problems. I think what we're talking about today is there's a there's sort of this weird illusion that um, there's there's too many people who just believe that subjective subjectivity is that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. I think people need to realize that the reason why we're living in such a toxic world, especially coming out of 2020, is I think we all lived an entire year when we were locked in. We lived an entire year of subjectivity, right? Like 
there were facts about various things, including like this virus, for example, that people themselves were already arguing about, which is natural because from a scientific perspective, objectivity requires people to debate that process to go into the scientific, as me and you know, considering we're studying all this stuff, the scientific process. But for people themselves to make decisions about their lives based off subjectivity is kind of a relative new thing. And like, it's not, it's not really efficient, right? We're seeing more and more people either move away from this idea that there's logic involved in certain things and moving to, directly towards emotions. And I think it's a very dangerous game. Okay. Like, and again, I'm not being not sensitive to the audience. I believe that there's always a space for emotions, primarily because well, there's something called emotional intelligence. There's there's a sense of subjectivity and anecdotes. And I believe in the power of narrative. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. It's not highly narrative-based. Mm-hmm. But there must, be, there must be an acknowledgement whenever we're at a standstill. Mm-hmm. That's generally when we reach something that we subjectively disagree upon, right? Then we have to look at, okay, what are some of the governing laws of the universe (laughs) that have been existing since like time immemorial? Mm -hmm. Like understand like, you know what, those have precedence over any of our subjectivity. Yeah, so I wanted to continue on to the topic of emotions versus logic. And uh, put simply, emotion-driven decision-making at the moment is not thinking rationally about particular truths. And that can be related back to objectivity and subjectivity in that, uh, using your uh, using subjective thought and like anecdotes is where the emotion kind of comes into play, and it may uh, change the decision that you make. Whereas you think logic is more reasoning and it's more of an objective viewpoint. However, uh, emotion does drive into logic, and uh, putting it in context with media, some headlines and uh, media stories that are written uh, cause you to feel certain emotions that you react and you click on the link to read it. But uh, thinking logically, you should think about why are you reacting this way to the headline and try to find that new story from another angle to see if you still feel the same way or if there's another point that's being expressed. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, when it comes to emotions versus logic, a lot of people, it's hard though. It's mm-hmm. hard to like not just have, it's, uh, it's hard just to completely ignore your emotions. But I think, oh, for sure, yeah. Like naturally, we're just emotional beings. And yeah. I, think, I think when it comes to stuff like, um, like when you see a headline, you immediately look at it Maybe now it's social media, which of course we're not we're trying like to get into at the end of the episode just to touch upon it. Yeah. But even in social media, generally speaking, you you share headlines sometimes because the same news organizations are now on social media. Yeah. Um. You'll generally see you generally just see like an assumption. That's probably what the headline was always entailed to do. For sure. Yeah. Of course, it's percep. It's this goal was to grab the head was to grab the yeah, attention of reaction. Right. But I think in today's short term world, it's much more even harder now to take a step back and be like huh let me just you know like i'm reading a headline but not just a headline in general like whenever you're in a tense situation it's easier to just snap 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 and like snap back at the person and to get your point across but i think the more efficient smarter thing to do be like okay let me just pause for a second yeah, exactly. it's hard like i said um i feel like i definitely know that there's been times where i've snapped yeah but i think if we're gonna consider bigger problems than ourselves we have to look at things in a long-term way. Mm-hmm. Like if we're gonna consider the solution to a particular problem, don't do it in the moment. Yeah. Because I think what happens in the moment is people are either visceral, they're too happy, they're yeah. too angry, yeah. they're too furious. And there's always that saying, which is don't make a decision when you're too happy or too sad. Yeah. Because you're, you're one is gonna overestimate, you're gonna overshoot your shot. And the other one is a complete like low balling. It's like, no, you could do better. Exactly. And the other one is you gotta, got, you kinda gotta be realistic. The other one's kinda, you gotta be optimistic. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's kind of a happy medium. And that's essentially where objectivity lies, which is because objectivity just speaks purely about purely about reason and logic. And the idea is to preserve logic to the point where people can actually use that to, to, to discern their beliefs and opinions and stuff. And you know, it's not even news news headlines and news companies that use uh, 
like emotions. It's also marketing companies too. Like it's been proven that the colors, I believe red and yellow make people hungry. And that's why, you know, probably McDonald's uses it a lot. You know, and a lot of times you see the commercial and you think you're all crediting McDonald's, but that's where you got to take that step back and actually yeah. ask yourself, do you really want it? Or is it just for really that commercial? Yeah, it's more like a short term versus long term kind of thing, I realize. Yeah. A lot of news media and then even with social media, which made it even worse, <laughs> is that for the longest time people have been always wanting to get the answer right away. Right, exactly. And then because we're living in such a short attention span world, and particularly with regards to the idea of instant gratification, mm-hmm. it's easier to justify now more than ever certain things because while well, the justification is what people want to be updated. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, people want to be updated. We're living in a more globalized and ever connected world, but at the same time it's tough mm-hmm. to like to just share something on social media at the same time also just to read something and just mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know everything about that topic mm-hmm. doesn't make you an expert doesn't make the person who's writing about it an expert remember mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so speaking of experts we're gonna getting <laughs> directly to the media now as our audience kind of knows we've kind of spoke about our beef with the media mm-hmm. uh we've mentioned it a few times it's not necessarily beef it's more like just a critique and it's more a critique in general that we've heard from everyone i think everyone can agree with us when we say that the media definitely does have a bias yeah However, it's more than that, I think, at this point. I think the media in general is very favoritist. It's corporate, yeah. so it makes sense why they're favoritist. At the same time, I think it would be really interesting for the sake of this episode to kind of go deep into the historical significance and to kind of build up some of the research that we've done for you guys to kind of like set a stage in which people actually understand the whole purpose of mediums. I think before we even go to media, and then we, it's precursor like the newspaper, the news, mm-hmm. and then the free press in democracies. We can like go back all the way from a historical yeah. significance standpoint, which is it was necessary at one point to have media. Like mm-hmm. I think for the longest time in human history, and especially the tough thing for our generation of Gen Z is that the world exists. <laughs> the world existed prior to be like 2000, yeah. 2001, <laughs> 2020. Even. It, may, it may seem hard to believe, yeah, but the world did exist. I think I think when with regards to the significance of the media, though, it's like for the, for the longest time in human history, people have lived very like feudal or like under royalty monarchies, very like kind of stagnant societies. Right, populations were never this large. Uh, people used to live, and most people were like peasants most of their lives. You were very lucky if you were born in nobility, exactly. and the idea was that there was always this weird rigid hierarchy of tyranny for the most part throughout all of human history. Every empire had empires. There wasn't really some idea of a prime minister or an elected or a president or some elected officials. That really a more recent phenomenon, if you think about it. That's 400, 500 years, pretty recent in the grand scheme of things, right? So for the longest time, people have just been trampled by those in power unjustly because people have always had people who are generally weak and not really privileged in the sense that they don't have access to the same resources. The, the people at the top have always generally had the joy and the ability and the privilege to kind of trample those below them. Yeah. And this is prior to the idea of like, well, people have human rights, people have the right to freedom of speech. This was prior to all that. The idea was that, well, these monarchs in most parts of most of these empires were divinely inspired, right? And you really couldn't fight that because religion was the predominant sort of context with regards to some of these places in the world. You can't fight a theocracy. Yeah. If the theocracy clearly mentions the fact that this head of state is endowed by the creator, you really can't argue. It's almost seen that you're arguing with the creator mm-hmm. and with the entire theocratic machine. So it's really hard. And I think with the development of the media, the moment we had democracies and when you think about the revolution in America or like the French Revolution, these ideas came forth that people had natural rights and human rights. And so it became an extension of people that we keep those people in power in check. Like yeah. those people who are in power, they're put there by us. And because we only put them every four years, there must be some other short-term way now, of course, to keep them in check. And that was generally always immediate. Yeah. The idea was some people 
the free press, not only was it like a business, like it wasn't just a creative to be a journalist. It was more like an ill thing to do because you're not just serving a, a company or a newspaper in your local town. You were essentially the bedrock of a democracy. I think over time, what's generally happened is uh, the freedom of speech became this idea extended not just to people. Then it became the media's right to speech because whenever people in power messed up, whenever people who, who were powerful or any sort of public figure messed up, it was the job of the media because they were protected by the freedom of speech to say whatever the hell they wanted to say in respect to reporting the facts about that. Yeah. And generally, the, the traditional argument has always been, well, the people in power want to keep the media away because the media is constantly always stoozing up on their business. And the reason is because they're trying to expose them if they've done something wrong. Yeah. I think um, in more in more recent years, it's it, it's been uh, kind of corroded. I think if we see the past like 10, 20 years, we can sort of bring up some personal examples later on. But generally speaking, it's always been like, look, there's no one to call these powerful people on their bullshit. And for the longest time, because, hey, they're a king or, hey, they're a prince or they're royalty or they're monarchs. No one's there to call them on their bullshit. Now, for the first time, you have organized people coming together and like, now we're empowered because we have free speech. We're going to say whatever the hell we want to say. And you're not going to stop us because we're protected not by you. These things preceded you guys too, right? Because it's something called the constitution or something that's going to protect us. And I think um, now it's it's become more of a corporate model. Because for the, for, if that were the case, eventually you move on to newspapers and you sort of have like in your local town, you had the average newspaper. Yeah. If you think about the development of news from a technological perspective, you had a newspaper in your town. Your average town had its three to four newspapers. There was no monopoly on newspapers. But then every town you went to in a different part of the country or a different part of the world, you sort of had that town's news. Generally that town's news stayed in that town's news. You really didn't care about big events unless there was like some election. Yeah. But then over time, it's like, when, when, I think as technology and as the more globalized we became, the more bigger newspapers came out, the New York Times. See, some of these publications are like hundreds of years old. Like the London Times, the Toronto Star. These have existed for like hundreds of years. And because this sort of became the more technologically advancing to do with, uh, with more people being able to distribute the printing press, advancing even further, yeah. and the ability for people to corporatize news, you know, it was both a good and a bad thing because yet everyone now able to read news. Yeah. Everyone was able to be updated on current events. At the same time, you had um, a business model developing out of it, which all of a sudden has its purpose. Now, anyone in business knows that the idea at the end of the day is to drive profits right, mm -hmm. to, the, to the bottom line. Yeah. And some people are, oh, and, and work fair on business, and the idea is well, to maximize profits, right? Now, there comes a time when if your industry is maximizing profits based mm -hmm. off of society detriment, the questions should be raised. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I know for sure. Like, uh, I know when the business comes in, that's where that subjective point of view comes through, right? That right. bias because they want to do what's best for them, what's best for their image, not so much so what's best for the listener, the reader, and what they actually need to hear. And that's where that whole term of like media bias comes in, which we'll get into more later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like especially with regards to the media in the 20th century, I think when when people generally listen to us, they think of like, oh, but you guys are just talking about American media. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think we have to acknowledge something like. Prior to like 2001 or like even the 90s, mm -hmm. the world was pretty much divided up into three segments. Like if you think about it, if you ask your parents, just in general, you had people who lived in free nations, yeah. you had people who lived under the Soviet bloc, and you had people who just weren't like non-aligned mm -hmm. or just in developing countries whose literally best case scenario was to put the meal on the table. Yeah. Like no one really gave a shit over there. Yeah. Now you're living in a more globalized world, right? Think of all these events, the fall of the Berlin Wall, mm -hmm. globalization, uh, rising China. 9-11, uh, internet, these all these events globalize society so quickly that in reality, whatever happens in one part of the world generally affects us. Whether it not be a direct infect, infection, but 
social media, as we're going to discuss in the next episode, kind of also put that on steroids. And I think with regards to the American media, um, I think everyone takes their, every, because it's, corp, it's a corporate model, everyone takes their cues from the leading people. And the most viewers that people have generally gotten in the past has always been American media. Because American media has somehow been able to, since the 60s and 70s, to be able to capture people's attention. Exactly. I think one of the examples we wanted to give with regards to research is, um, I can think of the first time that, um, after researching this, where media and corporate media came into consideration. Actually, before we get into that, let's look at the business model of this idea. Because the idea of a corporate media is to, have the ability for them to distribute news very quickly, yeah. a variety of news, have a sports section, et cetera. Yeah. But the idea was that you would get this to people, they'll pay a subscription, but you would also have advertising. Mm-hmm. And before the television or the, the one that was the radio, you had like radio advertisers, but yeah. then on the paper, you actually had physical pamphlets and advertisers. And then when, when it became like, you get all these studios like CBC or MSNBC or whatever, you have like actual ads being played on these TVs. You actually have commercials. Mm-hmm. I love those like, you know, those like medicines. Yeah, yeah. You know, like at the, like they have advertised something, big pharma company will come out of nowhere and be like, by the way, we have a drug. And then yeah. at the end, it's like, make us death. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> yeah. There's like all these advertisements of like all these like drug companies and whatever. Yeah. And the key is, well, like the more audience retention you have, it's quite obvious. The yeah. more you are on their platform, similar to social media companies, the more you're on their platform, the more money they make. And so the easiest way to keep people on your platform is to keep them riled up about something exactly. and to go back to the emotions part because if someone's logically coming to conclusions and we're all it's a really strange thing and in fact good news never gets any eyes because whenever something good or productive happens in society whenever elon musk launches another rocket it's like, eh, right, cool. but give me what's really bad right now <laughs> and i think and i think i can go back to this idea where um something that i've kind of been looking into because i just like to study history is if you look back at like the 1960s as an era um that's when i think not just in American society, but in Western society at large, and then Western society now has a more global sense, mm-hmm. is when people began to really question their institutions, or for the longest time, people just had this trust in institutions. And then when it came to Vietnam, the war, when it came to things like the hippie, the counterculture hippie revolution and stuff, you sort of had these themes of what where we should, we all can take things into our own hands, but people still trusted the media because I knew the media was serene objective. Yeah. Um, I was doing research on this journalist, something that maybe people could look into, this is a man named Walter Cronkite. Now, Walter Cronkite, for those of you that are not American, even us as well, yeah. we, we kind of looked into him. He's a pretty interesting figure because he was actually the most, tr- he was known as the most trusted man in America in the 60s and 70s yeah. because he reported on things as they were. He spoke out against uh, the war crimes happening in Vietnam, but more necessarily, he spoke about, um, he really asked questions as to why we were there. He kind of posed objective questions yeah, exactly. and logic because his whole thing was not about emotion. It was more about like, well, why are we wasting resources protecting a different country? Is it really reasonable? Is it feasible to stay there for the longest time ever? Are we just going to continue dropping bombs? It doesn't make any sense. And really asking the questions that are required, like how are we actually going to further advance society? And I think it was at that point where media's, when people started to tune into people like him, media kind of realized that, that he's taking on a sort of pretentious issue. Mm-hmm. And I think, there was sort of something written in the playbooks, which is if we can sort of play on these tough, hard issues and these sort of riled up issues, these really conflicting issues, because at that point, society is very divided amongst on trend lines. Maybe we can actually make a profit out of these. Yeah. And I think, like, it's become a corporate incentive now of media that we report on things that are bad events, which need to be reported on. But there's a difference between actually rallying people up on purpose to get clicks, like clickbait society, which we live in now, which is even worse. Yeah. And objectively reporting. And I think that's where the media kind of failed. I think we're going to bring up a personal one with regards to the more recent war on terror. But if you want to include something before we go on. Well, yeah, for sure. I just wanted to say that's where, like, you know, you, you really need to take a step back and look at 
how the media is being uh, displayed to you and like, the headlines and everything. And uh, like going back to the emotion with the whole reaction thing, you just step back and realize, uh, is this what I want to hear? Is this the news that I want to take in? And, like, this is the way I want to take it in. Or is there somewhere else I want to go look at? And you start doing your research. You'll look at multiple sources so you get informed from multiple viewpoints, not just one. Right? Yeah, I think <clears throat> with regards to uh, that specifically thing, it's like, People generally, you 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 never you never lived in a in a we've never lived in a society like this before. Mm-hmm. Like we're globalized at this point, yeah. and it's like with regards to the Indian farmers' protest, yeah. like people here knew about it, and it's it's a very strange phenomenon to think about. This is not normal. Oh, yeah. Like a hundred years ago, no one ever even knew about this. Probably until months later, if it was that big of a national mm-hmm. crisis. Like if a country got overthrown or a government overthrown, then it become national. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it wouldn't have become like an, an instant overnight success. Mm-hmm. And I think. The idea is this is such a foreign subject to people, which is we actually never have never had like news at our fingertips. Yeah, like so disconnected, right? Exactly, yeah. not disconnected. And so mm-hmm. I think because it's become a corporate incentivization of media, the incentives are now unfortunately in the ability to divide people, which people, which I think we're sort of hammering home here. Yeah. I think people already understood when we started this episode. The media has its own biases, and I've seen many people post on on main uh, on social media about like their relationship with the news. And we've learned it in school. The news is biased. Bias is always going to stay there. But for some odd reason, in more recent years, and by recent, I'm talking decades, but more <laughs> recent decades, it's become it's become more of a divisive issue because it's clickbait. And the more and the more the more the more uh, short attention span we become, yeah. the more we're there for instant gratification. Like you want to hit peace on someone, like get some burst of adrenaline on someone that we hate. <laughs> it's going to become even more dangerous. And so I kind of want to drive people's attention to something that I think hits home for both of us. So as both of you, as everyone knows, that Manchu grew up uh, as Muslims in the Muslim community. We're actually, a, we're actually a minority within a Muslim. Yeah. Actually, no, we're a minority within oh, a minority. Yeah. <laughs> Islam, yeah. Islam not being a minor, being a minority in Canada, but not the not the minority of other parts of the world. But um, what's interesting is um, our take on the war on terror and uh, negative stereotypes. I think for the longest time. Uh, there's been there's been this there's been this weird um, there's, there's been weird push for young Muslim people. I think me and you can speak to this, which is like the idea that like religious organizations kind of train their youth and become ambassadors of their faith yeah. and become ambassadors of who they stand for in their community. It was kind of trained innately to us that you guys have to kind of move beyond your. Uh, you're not just by the way learning about your religion. You kind of have to be ambassadors at this point. Every sort of group has to become ambassadors of their faith. I think. What's strange is the media and the Muslim community in particular have this weird relationship, which is mm-hmm. in early 2000s, like after the events of September the 11th, which is a horrible event, you had, you had a war fought in Afghanistan mm-hmm. under the guise of we're fighting terror. And we're fighting a war on terror, in fact, and it's an international war at this point, so people, everyone has to get involved. And you had the overthrow of an entire country. Okay. You also had people in the news giving negative stereotypes about basically every single Muslim as an individual versus the collective of Islam as an ideology, right? We often say here that we are here to power our mission statement and newer podcasts is to empower the individual. And so right there and then you should realize that like sometimes the media wants to, as you've always said, divide and conquer. I think the biggest lesson people should be learning about people who are trying to be elites in their own, in their own version is they want to sort of divide and conquer. And it's easier to... I guess impose a particular ideology or a particular message if you divide and conquer a bigger population than yourself. And with regards to Muslims in general, there's this weird portrayal that everyone, of course, have whole stereotype of not just all Muslims are terrorists, but they're like oppressive. They're there's they're different people, they're us versus them. Mm-hmm. I think with regards to the media there, 
more and more people who, who, who became Muslim, but to minority communities in general, understood that there's this weird incentive in media that from a racial, from using racial underpinnings is a profitable yeah. model, right? It's, it's easier for them to rely on stereotypes and negative and racism and stuff like that to kind of make a profit, even though necessarily maybe the intention isn't, yeah, if you think yeah. about it. Like maybe these institutions in general are not actually like racist yeah. in the micro level, but the idea is that they're, that they're taking these weird themes and at, that, at some point they know what they're doing is wrong, but they've sort of made their deal with the devil. And yeah. kind of been like, all right, I'm just going to continue this because it brings dollars and brings yeah. eyeballs. If I make a headline that this suicide bombing happened here mm -hmm. and this is a terrorist and I put a picture of someone and I keep on showing that story over and over and over again, mm -hmm. I'm going to get more eyeballs to my television show time yeah. time. And more and more people are going to use my, their eyeballs to watch my program and I tell them what to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? I think the battle now is... Um, what to listen to? Uh, what what's how? It's more like what to think versus how to think. Yeah, exactly. It, that, that's where you gotta like look at it and see what emotions are being invoked. You know, like we said that multiple times now, but it's just a really important point. You know, like just think about where you're getting your media from and what viewpoint they're trying to force uh, onto you, and realize okay, this is one viewpoint. Then you go look for another and see if it's really the same, or are they putting an implicit bias on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, th I think media has generally always done things that the media wants to at that point, mm -hmm. and they're not really on either side. I think yeah. people, I think what's the funniest lesson about 2020, and we'll probably touch upon this in the next episode is more recent events because they're all social media time. Mm -hmm. But I remember clearly the idea, the main idea that we've always wanted to get out was, for example, um, with regards to Islam, we've always been taught that you want to talk to people uh, to keep their questions and their ability to question things in the idea of context, mm -hmm. right? Context has been taught to us as a very important thing to kind of do. Sure, yeah. But in general, it's more like a natural human idea, right? Mm -hmm. You want to put context when you're studying history. Whenever you're studying something historic or something that's that's not necessarily empirical in the moment, you yeah. want to give context to every sort of side of the exactly. story. I think what's funny is I saw this weird reversal happen in 2020. If you don't, you can entertain this idea, which is, you know, there was many people who traditionally were of that side who were demonizing the other side of, of not being out of context. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing the same people being demonized for being out of context. Yeah. And it's a really strange concept because do you, like, for example, like when it comes to like right wing, like the whole right wing racist people, what like they're saying now that they're being taken out of context. Yeah. And I think to myself, if that's the case, that should prove to both groups at any point in time that there's something going on there. Yeah. And that's probably the person in the middle. Mm -hmm. The person in the middle is the medium. You're being then played by both sides. Yeah, exactly. That means the people who are playing you initially and telling you that that's the enemy mm -hmm. are now flipping the script and coming on you. Mm -hmm. And that shows you that they really don't have a sub, they really don't have an, they, their agenda isn't necessarily aligned. It's more subjective sense of what they need to report on because they need to bring the dollars back, yeah, which, is exactly. a, which is a weird corporate perverse mm -hmm. incentive model. It's just that people know that the media has bias. I think most people who are listening right now know that the media is corrupt. Yeah. Everyone knows that. It sounds like some new revolution that we're having on this podcast. But it's interesting to think about when you look at the history of the media. Generally speaking, like we're, we're getting headlines from around the world. It's easier for people to have clickbaity articles, uh, easier for reporters to write opinion pieces rather than factually because for them, they want to become like, they want to get their Twitter followers up so they can, they can retweet some hit piece. Yeah. They can get their Twitter followers up because it's, again, the social media. And I think for the longest time, we kind of had the media under control until social media came in and had this weird, another set of perverse incentives, which we'll get to in the following. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, with regards to bias, I, I think 
like we mentioned, everyone everyone has their bias. I don't think bias is going any way anytime. Yeah. So it's natural human nature to have bias. I just think for the longest time, it's sort of been understood that if we're going to use empiricism and logic and facts as our foundation, then you really can't have your own. You can't. You cannot have the right to your own facts. Yeah, facts should be universal. You have the right to your own opinion. Mm-hmm. I think that marketing has to go back to the whole objective versus subjective. Exactly. If something is subjective, it's probably your opinion. If something is objective, it's probably the facts about a particular issue. Mm-hmm. Like if X is true because Y. Okay, that's a fact, yeah. right? Like you can't. You're not. You're not the right to your own facts. Yeah. Now you can read the fact and still have an opinion. That's counterintuitive, but that's your right because you have the right to your opinion. You have the right to your subjective sense of self because you're an individual, right? But you don't have the right to change the fact. Or your argument then cannot be based on the fact that, well, because I just, you can say like I disagree with that because this is my opinion. And then you can base your opinion based on facts as you've been taught to do. But you really can't say that the fact is wrong. You live in very dangerous times when when people don't look at facts anymore. And Mm -hmm. I think people need to really look into the fact that you're living in a very short-term clickbait society, and it's much more tougher now more than ever to go beyond um, your your natural responsibilities as just individuals living in this world, right? You're not a journalist. You're not in the media. And your incentive is more just to sit there and consume news yeah. for the longest time. I think now more than ever, people need to understand that society is being divided among trend lines and culturally speaking and politically speaking and socially speaking because of these institutions that have kind of stayed that are the same, but they're now translating into more like clicky social media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, like, yeah, a lot of uh, younger generations are now more on their phone, more on social media. And so these news companies have realized, so instead of putting like long news clips or like news, well, news that you see on TV, now they got to put click the article headlines and click reading little clips so that you watch it and you, you retain and you're like, oh my God, I want to check out more. You start going on a page, right? And it's just fulfilling what they wanted you to do. So, yeah, I think, I think when it comes to media i think when the more different people different if people are collectively thinking about themselves mm-hmm. i'm right wing i'm left wing mm-hmm. i'm this wing i'm that wing i'm north wing i'm south wing. like those people have to understand that there is someone there there's there's a there's a nefarious force of people who have a corporate model who have an incentive corporate model based off of dividing people among them mm-hmm. there's a reason why you have a fox versus a cnn because fox is based on one people group of people cnn is another group of people yeah they generally don't overlap. Mm-hmm. And so the more polarizing society becomes, the better it is for those people because they retain more customers. Exactly. It becomes a echo chamber. Mm-hmm. And there's an entire business model of profit based off customer retention. And if the business model of, this, of the mainstream media of the longest time has been retaining eyeballs on a screen, mm-hmm. the second, third, fourth order effects of this have been catastrophic because you have people actually change their entire world views as to what they've seen yeah. and then go out and commit heinous acts like, racist acts or acts of aggression against people based off some sort of uh, subjective trait, i.e. skin color, religion, whatever the case may be. Forgetting the fact that they're an individual, yeah. throwing that out of the window, but, but they, that they belong to a collective mm-hmm. and then that person also belongs to a collective. It's us versus them. Yeah. I think the more we move, I think the quicker we move from collectivizing ourselves and putting ourselves in boxes with regards to echo chambers, mm-hmm. the quicker we can be a more productive society. And we need to look at news and look at the way we communicate because at the end of the day, we're addressing an institution like communication and how we communicate amongst the world. I think if you look at journalism in and of itself in the 21st century, the way it revolutionizes itself is um, through people actually just stopping, stop walking on trend lines yeah. and to really think about like what's important and what's objective to report on the world. And like there will always be social issues to talk about, there will always be cultural issues to talk about. But let's start like 
stop, stop, let's stop looking at the other person and other people based off like what you just saw yeah. on a particular headline as us versus them. Think of them as individual, you're the individual, they're the individual. Exactly. They just happen to have certain subjective traits. Now, those subjective traits could be like skin color and everything else like that. But if we advise people to think objectively, maybe they can set aside the ideas that for the longest time have plagued societies, which is us versus them. So I think it's always been a battle between people who are supposed to think from logic and reason and people who generally have to think from like a the herd mentality. And you kind of you kind of want to balance them. I'm not saying entirely be objective because there's a beauty there's a beauty in certain subjectivity. Yeah. But, I'm not, each other. Yeah, but I'm not saying go entirely to subjectivity because if you lose all sense of a common ground, there is no commonality in mm-hmm. then you're literally just becoming warring factions. Yeah. So what you're seeing in society today. And I, unfortunately what happened in social media, which is social media has made it so easy now um, to go into like these warring factions mm-hmm. where it's us versus them, them versus us, team A versus team B. It's much more easier to take advantage of people when they're mm-hmm. like, when, it's much more easier to take shots at people because it's like, oh, on their, like they have so many followers, all their followers, like their team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is like my followers. I'm someone like all the bullying that happens on social media, all the sort of like celebrity drama, right. <laughs> all this bullshit is literally just a result of the same corporate model being literally incentivizing to stay on their platform. And speaking into social media, maybe we can sort of talk about before we end up with the three takeaways. Um, talking about maybe um, teasing a bit of next episode. Yeah. Because we essentially wanted to focus on social media for this episode. It's just that we want to kind of build a context. Mm-hmm. So people kind of listen to this episode, kind of think for themselves as to how they consume the news and how what they look at, how they look at news and how they look at news stories and yeah. the media and what's the truth and is there really an objective truth? And so we encourage you to kind of ask these questions to themselves. Before you read anything, ask yourself that question. Like, like what's the truth? And that kind of question always guided people to seek out the answer. Yeah. And when you seek it out, there's a sense of fulfillment versus when someone tells you what to say, right? Yeah. And I think we're, we're ever living in that world. And so with social media, generally, I think the social media revolution, if we think back in terms of the timeline, early 2000s, the idea was that it was essentially based on the same model, right? Yeah. Like people were just pissed off at the mainstream. Yeah, so people, exactly. People the, the internet essentially was decentralized initially, right? Yeah. Like the AOL and all those people. people yeah, the MySpace. And then, yeah. Right. And then you have the MySpace, Finster, and Facebook. And Facebook only survived. But you have these like new platforms come out and be like, people just want to meet people from the rest of the world. And, or just in their, like Zuckerberg started a campus because he wanted to meet other people on the campus oh, or whatever. Yeah. And so, uh, those entire those entire social media those entire social media platforms were just unique in their right because it was such a decentralized model. For the first time, someone in their dorm could start an entire company. Yeah. Didn't need these establishments to help them, right? And like we say on this podcast, the, the, what we always like to do is sort of take you always take aim at the establishment at certain parts, which is generally the ones kind of keeping things the way they are. Some things need to, some things are stagnant and they need to be accelerated radically. Some things are being radically accelerated that don't need to be radically. Yeah. Some kind of remain stagnant. <laughs> And so with social media, I think you had things like Facebook and the video sharing platform like like YouTube, yeah. right? Or Spotify now being mm-hmm. like a streaming service. Yeah. All these ideas were pretty cool in the sense that they were able to bring groups of people that I've never met before beyond their town mm-hmm. together. Because yeah. you generally went to university, you went to these so-called clubs or whatever, and you met people outside of your community. Those are like physical, but this was sometimes virtual. You can connect people for the first time in history yeah. virtually. So that was like a pretty big deal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't think that's ever happened before in human history. And the fact is that you can make your own profile. This ability for you to customize your story. Oh, yeah. that bit, the, the ability, the, the, the point was to make you the master of your storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a beautiful thing about social media. Like I said, it has its pros and cons, which we're going to discuss in the next episode. Yeah. But there have there's obviously to any tool. I think I look at social media as a tool. I think like with any tool, there are people who are going to use it for good and there are people who are going to use it for bad. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to take a chef's knife 
and cut carrots or someone take a chef's knife and stab someone. And it's like, okay, it's the same tool. It depends on the person who's using it. Right. And I think with regards to social media, it's just been an amazing tool for many people. It's literally made people's careers. Yeah. And that's a very astonishing thing to think about that people can actually, like, we can upload to YouTube and people are going to watch this yes, yeah, exactly. and actually take value from it for the first time in history. And so, yeah. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, no, even to, I took a music class like last semester and my professor had a cool term you coined called localization. So it was a play on words of like localization, globalization in that, for example, with like Spotify, as we were saying, people could make like playlists based off music that's created, like let's say artists in their city. And someone from around the world can see that playlist and start listening to artists in that city and start learning about the local environment, even though they might be in another country like millions of uh, kilometers away. You know? mm. And so that's where that term comes in. And social media has brought people together even closer than ever before. Like you were saying, like we were really connected and mm. you know, like just interconnecting this and all this. But that also plays into the fact of media bias and all this, which we'll touch up on. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what's really interesting is that the social media revolution ultimately, like people people understand that social media has the word media in it, mm -hmm. and so there must be media in forms of mediums, like exactly. pictures, videos, and everything. Yeah. But it also has a sense of journalism to it too. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, the social media revolution enabled one thing that for the longest time wasn't being able to do: it decentralized a lot of things. It made everyone a journalist. Mm -hmm. If you think back, unfortunately, to an event like George Floyd's murder and yeah. passing. The person who recorded that video is a journalist yeah. in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. They literally took out their phones and filmed an event mm -hmm. which changed, which rattled, shook the world. And it was that person. Like no news crew got there and yeah. filmed. That was a person's mm -hmm. iPhone video. Yeah. And with the with the ability for people to take social media and the actual like and the actual hardware devices, it's like this is basically empowered and decentralized a lot of things into the hands of the individuals. Mm -hmm. And I think the more we think about it, the more like individual and the more personalized we get as a society, um, the more it we kind of, as we said in the beginning, mm -hmm. fear the tilt towards subjectivity. Yeah. I think the more the virtual our world becomes, the more subjective it becomes, the more we forget about the universal truth of what binds us, right? And I think before we end, I just wanted to kind of touch upon like a unique event with regards to social media revolution. As Akil mentioned, we're becoming more globalized as a society. Mm -hmm. I think for many of us, I think we're like really young back then, but I can only think about like within context of like the Middle East, the Arab Spring in 2011, it was this period when all these Middle Eastern countries, this is prior to like, this is post Iraq, but mm -hmm. this is prior to like all the mess you see with ISIS in Syria. But this idea that like, for the first time, people in the Middle East were gonna rise up against the remaining monarchs and their dictators because they wanted democratic and free and open societies and open elections. Good, it's a good principle. But the fact is that the entire revolution was really streamlined on social media. And it was for the first time an entire revolution was broadcasted on social media and how people in the West were like literally adding food to the fire for people to like change their countries. And so it's a unique thing, which is like, this led to like revolutions, right? Mm -hmm. This led to people like Hosni Mubarak in Egypt in 2011 being overthrown. This led to people like Gaddafi being overthrown. Mm -hmm. This led to other people um, staging protests in their countries and sort of global communication of people who agree on certain values and are like, now we want to fight for these values and mm -hmm. people understanding the concept of protesting and, and of organizing organizing teams and organizing organi having organizations actually work towards a particular goal. Exactly. I think um, this really is uh, this really is a very like disruptive technology if you think mm -hmm. about the past 20 years. Yeah. I think before we go to the last section, I think, uh, I don't know where I was listening to this, but I think maybe someone was saying that all the problems that we're having in the world now with regards to like, you know, with social media, there's plenty of problems that can come to mind. Mm -hmm. Bullying, uh, uh, comparison, body, body issues, yeah. body image issues. Uh, I don't know, the divisiveness on social media, 
um, the weird posts on social media, the weird shit, the, the good shit, the bad <laughs> shit, all the shit. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, our world is ever more so, I think, reacting to I think social media was a reaction to just people coming into a globalized world. And what we're seeing now, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think what we're seeing now is a reaction to that. Yeah. I think this is like our bot, our humanity's immune system, kind of realizing that it's taking too much of a tilt. And I think what's happening is we're reacting in a, in a weird way. I don't just, I don't know if I can cause it. There are some parts of it that are negative, some parts of it that are positive. But I don't know if that's a question. What if the question is like, this is just how we're reacting to it. And this is just our immune, our sort of collective immune system reacting back towards this idea that for the first time, people are just connected on a massive scale. Yeah. And we don't know what to do. It's like a Pandora's box, I think, yeah. that we opened up. Like, you know, people were talking about how we need to, like, stop globalization, stop... It's like, can you? No, 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 no. I don't know. Yeah, I think that you could. I think the masses of people are just going to keep on going. Oh, yeah. Even if governments do whatever, you've, you essentially enable people for 10 years to communicate on mass, <laughs> and people are building companies across like both geographic barriers exactly. the first time and the ability for us to virtually like interview guests and this this shit matters this yeah unique right like the only way you could have stopped it is if you stopped the creation of the internet <laughs> right exactly and I, think, and I think this is like this is a unique place to new human history because mm-hmm. it's unique to see what happens next and i think with the next episode which is a bit more in-depth technically speaking because we want to analyze the social media trends in 2020 and want to see beyond along with some exciting new technologies on, on the blockchain front. Right. Yeah. but i think it's a really interesting time considering the fact that throughout all of society it's always been like a back and forth back and forth back mm-hmm. and forth between like some disruptive technology comes out and it takes humanity kind of like a lag of 10 years to catch up and then sometimes sometimes over immune response i think that's what's happening right now because we've never been in these echo chambers across geographies right and i think it's easier for people to like snap on Twitter mm-hmm. and then like just leave, like yeah. or like those yeah, people yeah, 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 yeah. and then like behind that screen, but yeah. you don't have the guts to say things in person. There's yeah. a constant way of, being, of doing shit, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just a unique time that we're living in. I don't necessarily call it positive or negative. I just think it's something that we have to accept that it's happening. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Other than that, I don't think we can end off with our three takeaways. For sure. So, yeah. okay, what are your three takeaways? Yeah. So um, I think my first takeaway would be to uh, do the same point I've been hammering home, you know. Uh, every time you see an article or like a headline or anything, yeah, read it, uh, think about it, but also look at it from multiple viewpoints to see what the actual truth is. Uh, like, you know, research and find your own truth instead of having people tell you what it is. Uh, my second uh, takeaway, this is kind of cheating, but uh, if you want to learn more about objectivity, you can look at our episode three your own. Uh, I believe it was episode three or four. And uh, my final takeaway is uh, more so that the narrative is switching towards more of an individual uh, person, just like Ariz was talking about the death of George Floyd and how one person with their iPhone was able to record it, they're the journalist. With that being said, because the narrative is switching to the individual, it's more subjective. And again, you just gotta do more research and just figure out what the truth actually is. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, yeah, my few takeaways are, I think the first one would be like value independent thought. Mm-hmm. I think we're living in a more stranger time than ever before. I think it's more short-term, it's more instant gratification based. And I think, I think, what, what I find unique is because podcasting is rising, it's giving me hope in the sense that people are actually going back to this long form. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know why, but people are going back to this long form. So my whole thing is just value independent thoughts, study things for yourself. Um, my second thing is if you're being passionate about an issue, like if you really care about some sort of, so, we're talking about social issues here, not technical. Yeah. Social issues, if you're passionate about some sort of issue or some sort of like climate change or any of some of these like new issues, um, the onus is on you to provide the evidence and you're supposed to invest time in it to yeah. study it to undergo all this all the massive amounts of time people have put in to study this topic over mm-hmm. years it's like 
you're just taking a headline and then sharing it on social media. Yeah. Understand what you're sharing, understand mm -hmm. all the sides of the argument. And I know it's going to be tiresome, yeah. but I think that we should kind of shift the conversations from being just like, oh, I'm just going to share this to if I'm actually sharing this, look at the impact I'm having. I mean, you're having, like, the average person has like 1,000, 2,000 followers. Like, learn what impact you're having. You're, mm -hmm. you're sharing something immediately, like, so, so like so with some newspapers in history, I've never had that kind of reach. Yeah. So always be ready there. And just, I'm just my last takeaway would be, um, because we're living in such an individualized world, there is more freedom now more than ever to post anything that you want. Yeah. But with more freedom, as this is always comes more responsibility. And I think um, it might be a scary thing. It might also be like a daunting task, like more oh, responsibility, like I have more responsibility. Like, yeah, I mean, people have responsibility of their mm -hmm. own selves. But I think the more freedom that people undergo in their lives, the older you get, the more financial financial freedom you get, the more responsibility you have then to preserve that financial freedom. Exactly. Right? The more older you get, the more you graduate, the more freedom you have. Therefore, like for example, from university. No one's going to chase you for anything. Mm -hmm. But then when you leave university, still no one's going to chase you for anything. Yeah. But it's just for the first time, you're on your own. Like, there's no blueprint to life after university. Yeah. Right? So like life is starts. It's, life's already started. So now you're on your own. And I think there's really no institution that's backing you up now. So I think there, with, as you get older, there's always more responsibility. But now more than ever, because we're living in a, in a more individualized society, more, more freedom from people and from groups and the more freedom that individuals have the more responsibility, the onus is on us to maintain that freedom mm -hmm. and to be more responsible for the things we use with that freedom. Sure. I don't think freedom can be is one thing that can be taken away. Mm -hmm. I think freedom is granted to everyone, freedom to do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. However, I do think when people talk about like freedom of speech and what's considered hate speech and free speech, my whole thing is, can we change the dialogue from free speech to responsible speech? Sure. I think people can be more responsible when they speak. And if we change the dialogue to responsibility and keeping the onus on the individual, they can be held accountable based off how responsible they were. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily what they said was hateful or not, because like I guess it's just nothing but hateful, hate is subjective. Mm -hmm. What if we, we sort of evaluated the conversation to being around responsibility? And I think if we did that, I think there would be a better place if more and more people just took responsibility for what they did yeah. and what they said. And yeah, and just, uh, on a lighter note, though, going back to the whole attention span thing, I find it so funny how we had Vine for like, so long, which was just seven seconds, and now all of a sudden people are listening to a three-hour podcast. Yeah. And even with me, when I see a YouTube video that's 15 minutes long, I don't want to watch it, but I'll watch a three-hour podcast instead. Yeah, it's exactly. Just, yeah. It's strange. It's a strange concept. We don't know why, but then yeah. the market forces happens. You just go with it, you know? Uh, yeah, other than that, I think that's pretty much it for this week's episode. Uh, this is a new format that we're trying out, yeah. so please bear with us. If there's any other feedback, please let us know in the comments or just DM us on our social medias. Yeah, let and, us know if you guys like it. Yeah, yeah for sure, let us know. And we're definitely going to touch upon, like I said, this is an entire series of social media and turning up on, uh, hopefully we're going to be able to branch out to mental health and eventually to more taboo topics within the concept of mental health. I'm not going to say anything now or promise anything. Of course, people have been asking, but um, the idea of the New World Podcast is basically touch upon things that are disturbing within disturbing trends or just trend lines in general that have sort of been already happening and just with 2020 have been exasperated. Mm -hmm. So we're always kind of reminding our viewers about the mission statement that we have here, which is to talk about disruptive things that are also going to be happening, but at the same time, build enough of a narrative that I don't think people on podcasts do enough. Mm -hmm. Some podcasts don't do. There are some podcasts who do, but we want to sort of build the narrative one step at a time because we don't want to jump into a topic like social media without talking about as precursor to the media. Yeah, exactly. so we're going to talk about the precursor to the media and so where the incentive and the corporate structure came from and people needing to these companies needing to get people's eyeballs okay. so uh, with that we want to uh, bid you adieu and uh, please think uh, about some of the things we have said yeah. some of the themes that we've spoken about with our three takeaways and everything that other than that I think we'll see you guys next time uh, cool. thank you for listening to this week's episode of the New World Podcast yeah see ya cool take care thank you for listening to this podcast be sure to like subscribe comment and share 
Check us out for an audio-only experience on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other outlets. Follow us on all of our social media, and please consider supporting us on Patreon. All of these links will be in the description. That's it for us today. Welcome to the new world.